It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Have you ever wished you could have a brain like Albert Einstein? Evidently, someone else wanted his brain so much, they stole it. Before the famous physicist died in 1955, at the age of 76, he gave specific instructions he wanted to be cremated. But the New Jersey pathologist, Dr. Thomas Harvey, who performed the autopsy, thought it would be a shame to incinerate such a legendary brain. So without the family's permission, Harvey decided to remove and save Einstein's brain in the name of scientific research. For decades, Dr. Harvey kept the genius's brain in a glass jar under a beer cooler. Eventually, he dissected a small part of Einstein's brain to create a thousand microscopic slide samples of the tissue to send to other brain researchers all over the world. Those scientists who examined the brain concluded it wasn't normal. While Einstein's brain weighed 10% less than the brain of an average adult male, yet the region of the brain that processes mathematical and spatial reasoning was 15% larger than an average brain. Einstein's brain also lacked the normal degenerative changes you'd find in a 76-year-old. Still, the source of Einstein's genius remains a mystery. Dr. Harvey eventually donated the remainder of Einstein's brain to the pathology department at Princeton Hospital. One thing we can assure you, Einstein's brain is not thinking right now, but the Bible says it will think again in the future. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Hello, listening friends. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, and this is a live international interactive Bible study, and you're invited to join us and participate in this time together. If you have a Bible question, just give us a call. It's a free phone call, 800 800- Four six three seven two nine seven. That's eight hundred. God says, and we are not only on uh, hundreds of radio stations around the country, streaming via satellite radio, but you can also watch the stream if you go to the uh, Doug Bachelor or the Amazing Facts Facebook pages. You can take a peek at what's happening right now here in our studio. My name is Doug Bachelor, and my name is John Ross. Good evening, friends, and Pastor Doug. Let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, once again, we are grateful that we have this opportunity to open up your word and study together. And we do ask your blessing upon this program. Be with those who are listening, some who are driving in their cars, others who are at home. And we just pray, Lord, that you'd guide all of us into a clearer understanding of your word. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, I'm sure everybody at some point has thought to themselves, especially in school, especially kids, man, I wish I could be cleverer than I am. I wish I was as clever as Einstein. And uh, a lot of folks have wondered, well, what was it that he had? Was he somehow, his mind somehow different than most people? 
kind of interesting, this uh, little bit of scientific study they've done on his brain. First of all, somebody who stole his brain and then did some further research. Yeah, he was a very interesting character. Some people say that um, he didn't even talk until he was four. And then when he went to school, uh, they kicked him out of several schools because they said he can't learn. Well, he was just so far ahead. His mind was daydreaming about the physics of the universe and kids were, you know, doing Play-Doh or whatever they did back then. Yeah, very, a very interesting character. He'd frequently forget very basic things like what was my address. You know, when he was thinking, he was always thinking so far outside the box with the physics of the universe. And some people say, you know, oh, well, you know, Einstein was a genius and he was an atheist. That is categorically not true. In fact, he said uh, many times, my God created laws. His universe is not ruled by wishful thinking, but by immutable laws. The divine reveals itself in the physical world. Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man. Yeah, he certainly saw that there was the hand of the divine in the created universe. And, I, you know, I mentioned that his brain is not thinking now because the Bible's pretty clear in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says, the living know they'll die, but the dead don't know anything. And uh, the Bible tells us in Psalm 146 that when a man dies, his breath goes forth and that very day his thoughts perish. But will Einstein think again? He will. Saved or lost, he'll think again. Because the Bible tells us, Jesus said in John chapter 10, the hour is coming in which all that are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth. There is a resurrection. There is a resurrection of the just, and there's a resurrection of the lost. And one is the first resurrection of the saved, and then there is the second resurrection. Revelation 20 talks about the lost of all ages. And so everybody is going to think again at some point and uh, give an answer for the things done in their life. Unlike what some people and even some churches teach, the people who die are not walking around haunting anybody in this world. Living know they'll die, dead don't know anything. And if you'd like to know more about what the Bible says the state of man is between death and the resurrection, we have a free offer. We, I think, have only offered this one week before. It's sort of a premium offer, beautifully illustrated magazine that talks about this. The magazine is called The Afterlife Mystery. And as Pastor Doug mentioned, it's not something that we are able to offer every week, but we are offering it as a free resource for anyone who'd call and ask. Again, the magazine is called The Afterlife Mystery, and the subtitle is Decoding Death, Hell, and Eternal Life. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number you need to call to ask for this free offer is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. Again, 800-835-6747. And you want to ask for the magazine called The Afterlife Mystery. And we'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. If you have a Bible question, the number is 800-463-7297. Again, the phone line here to the studio, 800-463-7297. Our first caller this evening is Noah, listening in Illinois. Noah, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. My question is, why do Christians allow their kids to play, or not play, but participate in Halloween when Ecclesiastics 9-5 and First Thessalonians talk about the state of the dead and how Halloween 
has like zombies and all that. Have you seen, you know, I put a post on the Amazing Facts Facebook page. It's got like 450,000 views so far where I talk about Halloween. You may want to take a peek at that where we I give a little bit of the history of Halloween. And I basically say that I don't think it's uh, biblical for um, or appropriate for Christians who, you know, there's a lot of good holidays where we talk about Thanksgiving. That's great. Uh, not everything from culture is bad, but Halloween is one that has so many evil trappings of death and witches and zombies and seances. And the Bible says avoid the uh, works of darkness. Uh, witches are condemned in the Bible. Uh, mediums or spiritists that communicate with the dead are condemned in the Bible. And so why would a Christian want to participate in that? And I know that the kids, you know, they, they love to dress up and go out and trick or treat. But I think it's good to teach your kids that there are some overriding principles as a Christian where you, you have to be different. It's not wrong to tell them, look, you're going to have to stand up for your faith and then give reasons why. So, yeah, I would agree that it's not appropriate for Christians to participate in Halloween. Now, of course, the verse that you're referring to, Noah, is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. And we mentioned this at the beginning of the program. It's an important verse. Many are wondering, well, can the dead interact with the living? Ecclesiastes 9, 5 says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for their memory of them is forgotten. So the dead are, as the Bible describes it, in a condition of sleep, uh, a dreamless sleep. The very next conscious thought is the resurrection for the righteous. It's the second coming. For the wicked, it's the second resurrection at the end of the 1,000 years. Yeah, he, I think Noah would probably enjoy our uh, magazine. Yes, and that is our free offer for today. It's called the Afterlife Mystery, and we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, ask for our free offer called the Afterlife Mystery. The subject of death and hell and eternal life, it's all contained in that magazine. Next caller that we have is Chris, and he's listening from uh, Lady Lake, Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. thank you. Yeah, how can we help you tonight? Hello, yes, I have a question from Matthew 24 okay. and verses 9, 9 through 14. All right, would you like me to read some of that? Um, would you please? Yeah, it says Matthew 24, 9, and then they will deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you, and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he that endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And what was your question specifically on that? So my question is about uh, false prophets. Do you think that uh, some of the preachers uh, at church may fall under that uh, definition of uh, false prophets? Yeah, no question. There's, there's, uh, you know, not only in the world, but even in Christianity and, and for, for Jesus, when he said there'll be false prophets, I don't think he was even referring to pagan prophets because the Jews believed every pagan prophet was false. He said there's going to be false prophets among you, just like there were false prophets in Israel uh, from the time of Christ to the time of uh, Jeremiah and many before and after. So there's going to be false prophets that claim to be believers in Christ that are going to deceive many. And we see that today. Some of them have ended up in jail, <laughs> you know, so. 
Yes, because as I, I mean, it's a sub-question because preacher at my church, I love his sermons and the, the, it seems like he's inspired by his Holy Spirit and everything, but uh, what he does at the back, not everybody likes. Well, the, the main thing is, you know, if a, if a person, there are tests in the Bible of a true and a false prophet. Now, don't we have a lesson on that? It's in our, our lesson on psychics and astrologers. That's or, right. It's called, Does God Inspire Astrologists and Psychics? And it actually lists the tests for a tr- true prophet. And it's the, the biblical principles. And of course, we'll be happy to send this to anyone who wants to learn more. And it's an important subject. Jesus warned us of these false prophets in the last days. So you can just ask for our study guide called, Does God Inspire Astrologists and Psychics? And the number to call again is 800-835-6747. And we'll be happy to send that study guide out on prophets to anyone who calls and asks. Well, thank you for your call. Our next caller that we have is uh, Lucy listening in South Carolina. Lucy, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you guys doing? Good. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Thank you for my call. Mm-hmm. And your question. My question. Is, um, who took uh, Lucifer uh, place in heaven when he was cast out? So who replaced Lucifer when he was cast out and he became the devil? You know, the Bible does not give a name. The, there's only two angels w- that are specifically named in the Bible. You've got, well, Lucifer is the light bearer, uh, sometimes called Satan. Uh, it says, you are that covering cherub. talks about Gabriel. The word Gabriel means man of God. Now, when it talks about Michael in the Bible, the word Michael is believed to be what they would call a Christophany. Whenever, whenever Jesus appeared uh, prior to the incarnation, he appeared under the name Michael or the angel of the Lord. Certainly he didn't, you know, Jesus is uh, eternal God. Some have wondered, did Gabriel take Lucifer's place? We don't know. The Bible does not say specifically. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, he's never, you know, God's not holding his seat for him as though he's going to get it back. So I'm sure whoever was uh, next in line, there's there's some kind of order in the Bible. It seems to say there's a, a order or rank among the angels. It talks about the principalities and powers, and it seems to suggest that both God's angels and even Satan's angels, there's some organization and structure. Okay, thank you so much. So I don't know who is next in line. The vice vice angel got promoted. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks. Great question, Lucy. Appreciate that. You know, it does appear that Gabriel seems to play a very important role. You read about Gabriel who appears to um, uh, Zachariah. I'm just thinking about the story in uh, Zachariah with the angel where Zachariah asks, well, how do I know these things? And Gabriel says, well, I'm the angel that stands in the, the presence, presence of, of God. God. That's right. So it appears as though he's an angel of hold, that holds a high position. Maybe even the highest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Throughout recorded history, tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove once and for all the existence of ghosts. 
even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? Why do these stories persist? Does it even matter? We invite you to look inside and find out for yourself. Visit deathtruth.com. Next caller that we have is, uh, let's see, Michael is listening in Michigan. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, thank you both. Uh, I just want to say real quick for a quick question is uh, about predestination. All right. You want to know what is, does it exist or um, what does it mean? Thank you for asking that. It's actually, does it even exist? And um, I know that Paul refers to it in Romans 8. And um, I was arguing with a buddy, not really arguing, but we were having a great conversation about it. And he ended up using John 3, I believe, 5 and 6. It's about like how the wind, when it's Nicodemus talking to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the word predestination uh, is used in the Bible. The big challenge is not, is it in the Bible? The big challenge is what does it mean or some have interpreted it to mean that God decided without the choice of man, God decided who he's going to save and who he's not going to save. And that Jesus, I think this is what Calvin taught, Jesus only died for those who would ultimately be saved. But I don't find that in the Bible. I find the Bible saying that God does still respect the free choice and will of man, that uh, whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. And even John 3.16, that whosoever believes in him, uh, why would God say that we don't have a choice or a will? If God has pre-programmed us to love him, if he's pre-programmed us to either be saved or lost, why would God pre-program creatures to sin and then punish them for sinning? He almost then becomes an accomplice in that sense. Yeah, he is. He is. And then exactly. Go. Yeah, go ahead. I'm of the opinion, uh, I would fall in the category, I think Pastor Ross as well, of like John Wesley, who believed that we do have a free choice, that uh, God has chosen, that he wants everyone saved. You know, many are called, but few respond to the call. That's why he says few are chosen. It's a deep subject. It's Christians have been battling over this for millennia. Yeah, there is a little confusion, in particularly in Romans, where uh, you read a verse, for example, in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, where Paul quotes the Old Testament and says, Jacob, I've loved me, so I've hated. And some have wondered, well, is this some sort of a predestination? Well, I think it's clear that God did choose Israel to be the nation through whom the uh, Messiah would come. And it wasn't because of any inherent goodness in the Israelites, but God chose them. And when Paul is talking about this idea of predestination in Romans, he's not referring to an individual's choice. Rather, he's referring to the fact that God chose Israel to be the nation through whom he was to work. So it's not an individual type of thing, but rather it's referring to the people as a whole, the nation as a whole. It was through the Jews that the Messiah would come. That was an arbitrary choice made by God, that through Abraham's seed, the Messiah would be born. Yeah, when Paul says, I've, I've chosen uh, Jacob and not Esau, he's quoting the Old Testament where they're referring to the nations mm -hmm. of Israel and Edom. Esau was carnally minded. He wanted the physical birthright, birthright and Jacob wanted the spiritual one. And so God said, look, Jacob is hungry for the blessing, the spiritual blessing. Esau was carnally minded. 
So I chose Jacob. Ultimately, God's choice was still based on the choice of the ancestors. Okay. Okay. Isn't it Peter that also said that Paul had to be like carefully read and understood? Exactly. Yeah. Peter, Second Peter chapter three said, our beloved brother Paul says some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> you notice it never says you got to be, you struggle to understand James. He's real easy. <laughs> and even Peter's easy, but uh, Paul was pretty deep. That's what education does to you. It makes you complicated. Paul was probably the most educated, but uh, yeah, he said the most profound things. A good question. You know, we do have a book that deals with the subject of predestination, and it's called, Can a Save Man Choose to be Lost? If you'd like to receive a free copy of the book, the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book, Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who has a question about the subject. And if you have a Bible question and would like to get your question on the program, the number is 800 463 7297. And that, of course, will bring you here to the studio. That's 800-463-7297. We've still got a good, oh, I don't know, 35 minutes of giving Bible answers. So uh, give us a call, 800-463-7297. We've got Jacob listening in uh, Boise, Idaho. Jacob, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I have a question. So I struggle with smoking. I smoke seriously like pack and a half, two packs a day, and it's going to come to a time where my health is going to decline. But I tried chewing gum. I tried doing all that stuff. And so I know I'm weak and I ask God to forgive me. I'm weak, Mm -hmm. but I ask him to intercede on my behalf. Just take it away. Just take it away from me. And and I know he says, ask me, shall receive. How come he hasn't just taken it away yet? Well, I don't know, but uh, you're talking to an ex smoker. I understand it is very hard. Some have said it can be as hard as getting off heroin. Um, you know, a person, you can smoke a cigarette, you can have an intelligent conversation with them, but the addiction physically, it can be pretty serious. But let me tell you, it's like Mark Twain said, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it a hundred times. Staying quit is the hard thing. Now, I quit several times before I quit for good. And praise the Lord, I have not had a cigarette in 40-something years now. But I know it's a struggle. And you got to keep at it. And finally, you're going to get to the point where, you you know, you're just broken. And you say, Lord, I don't ever want to smoke another one. Some people do it several ways. And for anyone out there that's in this category, and I know there are many. And right now, there's a lot of people addicted to vaping. It's not just the uh, the old-fashioned cigarettes. But... Uh, there's there's a few things you can do. One is God can take it away cold turkey. I've seen that happen. Uh, sometimes there's a struggle, but it gets easier every day and every week that you're off it until pretty soon you don't think about it anymore, which is what happened to me. I've seen people say, I'm going to see if I can go uh, and cut my cigarette intake in half. Now you're smoking two packs a day. Cut it in half. And the way a week, cut that in half. And then they cut that in half. And you try to taper like that. Now, some people, that doesn't work for most people, but I've met people that it worked for. They just kept tapering. I knew a guy smoked one cigarette a day. (laughs) And that's all he did is one cigarette a day. I thought, why smoke? But anyway, you can quit. You can be free. And if it's okay with you, Jacob, I'd like to have a quick prayer with you uh, before we sign you off. Is that all right? Yeah, I just got goosebumps on my shoulders when you said that. So definitely, yes. All right, let me, let me have a quick prayer with you. Father in heaven, we just want to pray for Jacob and many like him that are struggling with an addiction like smoking. And we know that Jesus came to set the captives free, that you are able to break the chains. We believe greater 
is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so I pray you'll remove the, uh, the desire and uh, should temptation come, give him the strength. You promised we won't be tempted above, wh- above what we're able to bear, but you'll provide a way of escape. Uh, so just give him wisdom, how he can keep himself preoccupied and be free of this costly addiction that's also costing his health. And we thank you and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jacob, hey, we'll pray that you can be free of that. And we got a book we'd like to send you that I think you'll find encouraging. It's called The Power of a Positive No. Ask for that book, The Power of a Positive No. We'll send you a free copy. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, ask for the book called The Power of a Positive No. And Jacob, this is for you or anyone wanting to gain the victory over some temptation the power of a positive no. And you know, Pastor Doug, I noticed we do have another book that might be helpful. It's called Tips to Resisting Temptation. That's got some practical biblical principles in there. And we can send that as well. Uh, just call and ask for the book, Tips for Resisting Temptation. The number again is 800-835-6747. Next caller that we have is, uh, let's see, uh, Esther in Southern California. Esther, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi. First of all, I'd like to tell Jacob that I will be praying for him from California. Well, thank you. And I wish him well. Bless your heart. Um, Pastor Bachelor, my question is, how many angels, which was each individual person assigned? We can speculate a little bit. Uh, there is a verse where Jesus said, their angels do always behold, and that's in Matthew eighteen ten. take heed that you do not spot, despise one of these little ones, For I say unto you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And when he says their angels, it's like a possessive term. It means that these children all have a guardian angel assigned. Whether it's one angel, some have have said, you know, Jesus tells us what Matthew 12, every idle word we speak will give an account of in the judgment. Uh, And some have wondered, do we have a recording angel plus a guardian angel? Or if a person is under special temptation, does God send more than one angel to protect them from Lucifer's uh, demons and minions that are there? We don't know, but I I do believe that every person has at least one guardian angel, and there may be some high-profile people that have more than one. You got any thoughts on that, Pastor Ross? You know, I'm just looking at a couple of other references, and it is interesting that angels do sometimes seem to connect to an individual. I'm just thinking in Acts chapter 5, you have the story of an angel that came and rescued uh, Peter out of prison. And in Acts chapter five nineteen, it talks about this angel that came by night and opened the prison doors. And it almost gives the sense that this angel knew Peter very well and uh, was there to protect and answer the prayers of those who were praying. So yeah, there's many examples of angels being involved in That's saving awesome. people. There's also one other verse I'm thinking of that might be plural. Is it Psalm 91 where it says, He will give his angels charge over thee, charge over thee. to keep you in all your ways. And then there's another verse, and I can't, Pastor Roth might find it, but it's called, The angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him and delivers them. Yeah, Psalms 34.7. Yeah, so definitely guardian angels. I feel better just talking about it. So thanks for asking that question. We appreciate it, Esther. We're coming up on a break now, so we're going to be taking lots more calls. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? 
Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real, relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible Study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at AFTV.org. At AFTV.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. The last words of Jesus should be the first priority for believers. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's why we're so excited to let you know now that the Amazing Facts AFCO program is going to be available around the world through our online course. You'll be able to study this fantastic material on your computer, on your iPad, on your phone, on the go. The course is going to be based upon our best-selling Amazing Disciples book, This 175-page book has 13 presentations, but in the different segments, you're going to get the whole presentation from the actual teachers. You'll have weekly downloads jam-packed with witnessing resources. You can follow the 13-week structure or learn at your own pace. There's interactive lessons included with video presentations. And upon your course completion, you'll receive a certificate. Are you ready to become the sole winner God has called you to be? Enroll now. Visit AFCO.org today. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. Got a few people queued up, ready to take the uh, the adventure of Bible Answers Live. Call in with your question, 800-463-7297. Pastor Ross and I were just saying, wait, the phone calls are a little light tonight, and it occurred to us, well, we got 2 million people in California with no power. I don't know if that's affecting charging their cell phones or what's going on here, but uh, we are having some uh, serious fires and a lot of wind so that PG&E has turned off the power. Pastor Ross has no power at home. That's right. So we're going to go two hours tonight with Bible questions. We're in the darkness <laughs> up there. <laughs> Glad we got power here. All right, who's next in line? All right, we've got Ed listening in Chicago. Ed, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. I love you both. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you. Um, I have a quick question for you. I was nominated head elder of my church. This will be my third year. But this time I decided not to accept the role because they nominated two female elders. And uh, I have found no evidence in the Bible that that was right. So my question is, if I did wrong by not accepting it, because, again, I don't believe there's any 
um, Bible evidence for that? Well, that's a good question. First of all, I would agree with you that there is no Bible example. I should back up. Elder, bishop, pastor were all the same in the Bible. Uh, a few years ago, I was part of a, uh, a study group at a university to find out, is there a difference between pastor, elder, bishop? And they're all the same in the Bible. Uh, there were apostles. You might have evangelists, you had deacons, and then there were the pastors or the elders of the church. They were pretty much the same thing. They were the overseers. There's no example in the Bible of a woman being ordained in any of those capacities or being called. Matter of fact, one of the criteria is it says that an elder must be the husband of one wife. It says it also about a deacon. While there's plenty of roles in the Bible of women in ministry, even as prophetess, there's no example of a woman serving as a priest, apostle, pastor in the Bible. If your church is doing something that you have an issue with, of course, you would want to appeal. Whether that means that you should not serve because they're doing something wrong, I, you know, I, the Holy Spirit's going to have to ask you that. You know, there are cases where uh, a church family may make some unbiblical decisions. There are varying degrees of unbiblical decisions. And I, you know, I want to be careful not to be your conscience on that because I don't know what, you know, how the Lord's leading you. Um, it might have been important for you to make a statement that, you know, that you needed to stand like that. I go to China and so many of the churches in China, the men can't attend because they have to work six days a week. I've worked with women pastors. Now, they weren't ordained necessarily, but the women are taking a leading role in organizing the churches there. And so while I might not always agree, we worked together and, and had some successful meetings. I hope I'm making sense or I might be rambling. No, you're making sense. Can I ask a follow-up question regarding the same thing? Sure. So the thought that comes to my mind is, um, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe they can do whatever they want. And so I think anybody can do my role, meaning it's not that they need me specifically to be the head elder. I think I bring some good things to the table, but it's not necessarily me that they need. And then I keep wondering, is this a satanic thought, you know, just to get me out of the way? Should I stay? I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I would, you may have already given an answer and dealt with it, and uh, it could be water under the bridge. If you're still grappling with it, I'd ask them for a few days to give an answer and then, then pray about it. And, you know, if you're going to be uncomfortable working with a lady elder and she's going to feel that uh, that tension, then you might, you know, just say, you know, it probably isn't the healthiest thing for me to take that position. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, what I can do is we'll send you a book I have that's called Women in Ministry. You know, you can take a look at that, uh, see if you get some ideas from it, Ed, and we'll just pray God gives you wisdom. It's a, a tough situation. A lot of churches I've served in... Um, they had some things going on that I didn't always support. And I thought, well, you know, there, what is it? Augustine that said, uh, you know, we need to be, have charity in certain things and be rigid in other things and have love in all things. And so there's some points of doctrine, you know, you don't want to say, I'm not going to this church because they don't agree with me on the 144,000. Because there's going to be areas where there's disagreement. And then there are some non-negotiable essentials. I do think that this push of feminism in North America is affecting the church in an unhealthy way and society. 
Yeah, you'll just have to decide whether that what the steps are to take on that one. Pastor Ross will tell you about the book. Yeah, the book. We'll be happy to send it to you, uh, Ed, or anyone wanting to learn more about this. It's a, it's a good Bible-based book that's entitled God's Role for Women in Ministry. And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book, God's Role for Women in Ministry. And I think you'll find it uh, an encouragement and a blessing to anyone who reads the book. Next caller that we have is uh, Daryl listening from Florida. Daryl, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor John Ross and uh, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Uh, my dad and I were discussing Daniel 9.27. And uh, in Daniel 9.27, it uh, reads, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, isn't that the... Uh, seven-year ministry of Jesus? Yes. Okay, and then it says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and that's that's uh, after three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, he died on the cross. Correct. And then the second half of that three and a half year ministry, that's when uh, Stephen was stoned, and then they uh, the uh, disciples preached to the Gentiles, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, now, why is that only like three and a half years? Because that's still being, I mean, the preaching work is still done to this day. Well, there were three and a half years. It says 70 weeks would be confirmed or cut off for your people. The, the Jewish nation, they were going to have uh, the special privilege of being the ones who would welcome and proclaim the Messiah. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. He confirmed the covenant with the Jewish nation, uh, the covenant being that the Savior of the world would come through the seed of Abraham for seven years, three and a half years in person. He died on the cross. The veil in the temple was ripped. He caused the sacrifice to cease. He fulfilled that sacrifice. Then he told the, the apostles, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Not yet. He said, go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. For the next three and a half years, until the stoning of Stephen, exactly three and a half years later, they only preached to Jews. Then after the stoning of Stephen, Paul is converted. Peter goes to the Gentiles, namely Cornelius, and the gospel then, you know, spreads everywhere. It's just talking about that there would be this last week cut off in a special way for the Jewish nation to hear the gospel after the Messiah had come. And at the end of that last three and a half years, uh, was there any type of... Uh benchmark or yeah with the stoning of Stephen now look what happens in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is stoned it's a repeat of what happened after three and a half years of Christ's ministry Jesus was uh, falsely accused he was arrested he was tried by the same court as Stephen he it says there's clothing that was taken from Christ it says they laid the clothes at the feet of Paul when Stephen was stoned Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Stephen says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And the Holy Spirit is poured out afterward in a special way when uh, Christ dies on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles after with Cornelius' house after Stephen dies. And so there's so many parallels um, between the three and a half years of Jesus and then the three and a half years of Stephen. We have a lesson on this we can send you to. Well, what about, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. What does that mean? 
Well, the Roman power that was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, they were the ultimately the ones who would, they were the abomination of desolation. You can read about in uh, Luke when it says, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, then know the desolation thereof is nigh. And Jesus said, those that be in Judea flee into the mountains. The Romans ultimately came and destroyed the temple. So after the stoning of Stephen, uh, there was, well, let me back up. <laughs> this is a deep prophecy. Jesus said, after the disciples showed in the temple, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Namely, namely, not one stone being left on another in the temple. A generation in the Bible is 40 years. Jesus made that prediction in about 30 AD. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple and there was not one stone left upon another. So that prophecy was remarkably fulfilled. Those are two overlapping prophecies between Daniel 9 and the abomination of desolation. Uh, Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. Now, I've said a whole lot on this. Uh, Pastor Ross, we have a lesson that talks about the sanctuary and the 490-year prophecy. We do. And the study guide is called Right on Time, and it deals with this uh, very important prophecy you find in Daniel 9. If you'd like to receive a copy of this study guide, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, ask for the study guide called Right on Time. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Again, that number is 800-835-6747. Next caller that we have is Lisa. Lisa in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Lisa, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and your question tonight. Yes, uh, something to do with their communion. I had a discussion with a friend, and he believes that uh, you could have communion every day. And I tried to discuss uh, that it wasn't recommended. Yeah, well, the keep in mind uh, when you have a certain sacred ordinance that if you do some things in repetition, it becomes meaningless. Jesus told us don't even pray in repetition. With the Jewish sacred calendar, they had their feasts and their special occasions annually. You know, they would have the, when Jesus had the Last Supper, it was a Passover feast. And the Passover normally was done once a year. It's okay. You know, Jesus said, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. But I, I think that if a person is doing it every day or even every week, it gets to be a ritual that starts losing its impact and its meaning. It'd be like telling your kid, we're going to have your birthday every day. And they'd start going, oh, man, I'm so tired of my birthday. <laughs> you know, so it stops being special. I don't see any example in the Bible of them doing it every day. One place says they broke bread from house to house daily. That's not talking about communion. It means they ate together every day. They were having studies. It's not talking about having communion daily. Okay. So some people have read that, and breaking bread sometimes means simply eating. Jesus broke the bread, and he multiplied it, and he fed people. Uh, breaking bread did not always mean a communion service. So when is uh, uh, the times of communion? Well, in our church, we generally have our, our biggest communion service uh, in the springtime when you would normally have the Passover. Uh, it doesn't have to be on that date. And uh, we usually do do it like three times a year because some people can't make it. They're traveling and we want to make sure everybody gets to participate at least once a year. That's what our philosophy is. Okay. So that, so that's, does that include the washing of feet? Yep. Okay. Jesus said, uh, if I, your Lord and master have washed your feet, and this is John 13, you ought to wash one another's feet. We think that, uh, 
that practicing that, you know, we, we along with uh, your primitive Baptists and a number of other churches practice what they call foot washing, where we, um, it's kind of a tender experience. Someone, or they call it the ordinance of humility. Hey, thank you, Lisa. I hope that helps a little bit. And, you know, some many churches practice and the um, Methodist practice communion quarterly, and that'd be fine. Daily. The Church of Christ, I used to visit and preach in Church of Christ in Texas, and they would do it every week. And I thought, you know, it just, it, it's too, too common. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your call, Lisa. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible Study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at aftv.org. At aftv.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit aftv.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. Our next caller that we have is Dell listening in uh, Arkansas. Dell, welcome to the program. Good evening, Doug and Gene. Uh, my question is kind of a confusing one, but if you don't mind, I'd like to give a shout to Jacob, the young man that had the smoking problem. Um, I was a four-pack-a-day smoker, and one day I rode down the window, and I was done. God said, this is the giant you're tackling today, and I never desired one after that, and I was four-packs a day. That's incredible. I've never known anybody to smoke four packs a day, so that's... <laughs> I, I smoked four. Sometimes I had two lit at once, uh, Gene. It was... Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I was bad. I, I couldn't walk 15 feet without wheezing, and I was only 45 years old. Wow. How long ago was that that you quit? January the 19th, 2000, uh, 2012. Praise God. So what's your question before we run out of time? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. My question's on the rapture. There's so many different questions on uh, when it occurs, if it even occurs, and a lot of people tap dance around this. And I, I, I Doug, you're one of my big ones that I uh, like to listen to because you really do this unbiased. And uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'll hang up. That way I can put on my headphones and really listen and use my Bible if you uh, uh, state any scripture. All right. Hey, we appreciate that. And praise the Lord for your victory with smoking, Dale. On the rapture, yeah, the the idea of rapture means to be carried away with power, to be caught up. The Bible does teach in First Thessalon- Thessalonians 4 that when the Lord descends from heaven, we will be caught up to meet him in the air, we'll be transformed. The, the dead are resurrected. They are caught up. So that is true. The idea that the rapture is a secret is not correct. Bible tells us the Lord is going to come with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Some people have read the parable where Jesus said his coming will be like two women in a field. One is taken, one is left. Two men in a bed, one taken, one left. Two men in a field, one taken, one left. The disciples say, where are they taken, Lord? And he said, where the eagles are, or the vultures are, that's where the body is. Or where the body is, that's where the eagles are. So the ones taken... Talking about they're being taken away in judgment. 
like when it says the wicked during the time of the flood, the flood came and took them away. People have misunderstood that parable. Uh, Jesus is simply saying there's two kinds of churches when the Lord comes, two women. They're grinding the mill. There's two kinds of people sleeping when Jesus comes. You got the saved and the lost, dead in Christ, rise. And you got two kinds of people working in the field. They're doing the master's work, some true, some false. So uh, they've misunderstood that, I think. But uh, yeah, it's the Lord is coming, it says, like a thief. And that means it's a surprise. No man knows the day or the hour. He even told the uh, apostles in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man is coming. But when he does come, let's read Second Peter 3. It tells us uh, the day of the Lord, and you can start at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens pass away with a great noise. Now, that's not a secret. The elements melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in it are burned up. And it's a scene all these things will be dissolved. What kind of people ought we be? So when the Lord comes like a thief, everyone's going to know it. The world is on fire. You know, we have a book that deals with this very subject. It's uh, one of my favorite. It's called Anything But Secret, talking about the second coming of Christ. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. And uh, for those of you who might be wondering about the second coming of Christ, the rapture, how does this take place? What are the biblical signs that we have? Uh, we'll be happy to send it to you. Again, the book is called Anything But Secret, and the number to call is 800-835-6747. 800-835-6747. Ask for the book Anything But Secret. We have Renee listening in Georgia. Renee, welcome to the program. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, my question is about um, talking in tongues. I understand that in Acts, when they talk in tongues, it was to talk to the different people that was there to witness, uh, to give the word out to the people. But I'm kind of confused on being filled with the Spirit and talking to something. Yeah, that's a good question. When it talks in Acts chapter 2 about speaking in tongues, it says that God supernaturally gave the apostles the ability to speak in the languages of these visiting Jews during the Feast of Pentecost. They were coming from all over the Roman Empire. They spoke many languages. My mother was Jewish, but she didn't speak Hebrew. She spoke New York. And you got, uh, you know, Jews that were in Italy, they spoke Italian. And Jews that were in Egypt, they spoke Egyptian. And so all these Jews from around the world came to Jerusalem at Pentecost. The Lord poured out the Holy Spirit on the apostles. They then preached the gospel in the languages of the listening multitudes and then they in turn took it back to their countries it was a brilliant move jesus said in mark 16 you will speak with other tongues and but this idea of a prayer language that you pray in a language you don't understand you don't really find jesus the apostles doing that prayer is the intelligent communication of your heart and mind with the mind of god and for you to just be babbling words and saying i'm praying in this special language and that's praying in the spirit that's nowhere defined in the Bible as prayer. There are three examples of speaking in tongues in the Bible. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. In all three examples, there are multiple languages present, and God gives someone the ability to speak in other languages in that assembly. And they know what they're saying. It says they spoke the wonderful works of God, or they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. That means they preached. It's relatively new in the last hundred years. This idea that the gift of tongues is an unintelligible language that uh, nobody understands, you don't find that in the Bible. 
and I have a free gift on that. I'll send you if you just simply call for it. And and uh, who is our caller that Renee. asked about that? Renee, yeah. The number to call for that is, uh, well, first of all, the book is called Understanding Tongues, and it deals with your very question, Renee. Again, this is for anyone who wants to learn more about it. The number to call for the book is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book called Understanding Tongues. Again, one more time, 800-835-6747. Ask for the book called Understanding Tongues. We've got Mark listening from Michigan. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, good evening. Evening, Mark. Uh, my question's about Revelation 6, the four horsemen, all all the horsemen in Revelation 6. And I've heard several takes on that, but I see a lot of parallels between Deuteronomy 32 and Jeremiah and Matthew 24. Uh, I keep seeing where sword, famine, pestilence or death are used by God against the people of Israel because they didn't follow his rules and worship idols. So could it be that the horsemen in Revelation 6 is God taking vengeance on those that did not follow his word and worship him? Well, you're correct that in the seals that you read about, there is some judgment that is coming on different uh, times of history in the world. Now, keep in mind, when you read the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen are the first four of seven seals that are being opened. It says the lamb opened one seal. It says, come and see. And then you see the first horse, then the second horse, third horse, fourth horse. But then he opens fifth seal, sixth seal, seventh seal. So the four horsemen are the first four of seven seals. To understand the four horsemen, you also need to read in Zechariah 1.8. And it talks about these horses, four horses that stand among the myrtle trees that are going forth uh, to all the kings of the earth. And it sounds like they're judgments. Horses often represented war. Now, I had to let Pastor Ross answer this because he, he's written a whole study series on Revelation. They're really phases in history. You want to talk? Yeah, you got the seven churches, you got the seven seals, you got the seven trumpets, and they basically cover the Christian era. A number of scholars have seen in the first seal, uh, he opens it up and there is a white horse and people seeing that uh, representing the power of the gospel going forth in the first century. The church was pure, symbolized by the color white. It was victorious, speaking about the spread of Christianity. Uh, then the next horse is a red horse and uh, many have associated the color red with blood or persecution. And that represents a time period of severe persecution that came upon the Christian church right up till 313 with the legalization of Christianity. So that second horse represents this terrible time of persecution, especially 10 years of severe persecution. Uh, and then the, the next horse is a black horse, and that uh, represents the Dark Ages, where there was a compromising of truth. A number of pagan ideas found its way into the Christian church. And then that leads into the fourth horse, which again is uh, during the time of the Dark Ages nearing the end of it, and talks about a pale horse symbolizing death, where really there was, uh, in the established formal church, there was a death to true biblical Christianity. And that's what that's referring to there. Also, there was a bubonic plague came during that time. One of the greatest, one-third of uh, Europe, I think, died during that time. You know, friends, it's probably not fair. I see a few people were standing by. We did not get to you, and I uh, hope you give us another chance next week. Um, first, we thought we had no calls, and then folks lined up, and we appreciate your calling. And if you've been blessed by this program, you know, we, we don't say much about it during the broadcast, but I will mention at the end, we are entirely supported 
by listeners. If you've been encouraged or edified, we just pray the Holy Spirit will touch some of you to say, you know, I want to help keep this program on the air and get us on more stations. Just go to the Amazing Facts website and you'll see a little button that I hope the button's there. Click and donate. Keep us on the air sharing the good news. And while you're there, take advantage of all the wonderful things at amazingfacts.org. God bless listening friends. It's a joy studying the word with you. By his grace, we'll get together and talk about the truth next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides, plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index. Words of Christ in Red, Chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature, and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. 